Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles with me tonight to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We want to use verse 23 as a beginning point for tonight's message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, writes, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 lays out for us the divine makeup of man. It says that we're three parts. In one sense, there's a similarity to um, being made in the image of God. The Trinity is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here we have the threefold part or nature of man, spirit, soul, and body. Now, if you remember over in John chapter 3, it tells us about when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He was one of the uh, Pharisees, one of the Jewish leaders. And, uh, and he must have been afraid of backlash from others that were part of the Jewish council. Um, I, I can't imagine any other reason that tells us that he came by night. And interestingly enough, every time the Bible refers to him, it talks about him being the one that came to Jesus by night. So that was significant in that respect, I guess that even one of the Jewish council, uh, maybe even part of those that several years later voted or elected to put Jesus to death or to work to that end. But Nicodemus asked Jesus about the miracles that he's doing. He says, we know that you've come from God because nobody can do the miracles that you, you do unless God is with them. And Jesus says, you must be born again. He says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So Jesus is connecting or tying together the miracles that he's doing with the kingdom of God. And he tells us the prerequisite for entering into God's kingdom. And that is to be born again. Now Nicodemus is one of the rulers, one of the priesthood. And so he's a teacher. And so he asks, how can a man be born again when he's old? He's thinking naturally. That's the only frame of reference he would have to the statement Jesus made about being born again. But then Jesus clarifies and says a man must be born of water and of the spirit. So the new birth experience is being born again in spirit. Let me prove that to you from the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36. Beginning in verse 25, the prophecy speaking of the Messiah and God's work through the Messiah then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all of your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And it will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So Nicodemus, along with the other Jews that are uh, leaders, rabbis, and part of the priesthood, should have known that God's plan for his family and for people coming into his family to be delivered from spiritual bondage and spiritual death, they should have known that Jesus was talking about spiritual things. One of the things that really surprised me when I found out some 20 years ago, I guess. A spiritual rebirth 
or spiritual blessings is not part of what the Jews believe. The Messiah, the work of the Messiah to the average Jewish person, if they know anything about the, the foundation of Judaism at all, they don't equate that to spiritual things. Heaven's not a big deal to the Jews. They're not looking for somebody to deliver them into heaven. You remember time and time again, there were people that would come up to Jesus and say, Master, Rabbi, are you come from God to reclaim the kingdom of Israel? Of course, they're thinking about the Roman rule over them. They're thinking that the Messiah, when it says it would restore the kingdom to Israel, the Old Testament prophecies and promises about that were not talking about nationalism in any form whatsoever. It was talking about a spiritual change, a spiritual kingdom. You remember that's what Jesus said to Pilate when he was facing the so-called trial that he was on. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. The Jews didn't get that. They didn't get that then. They don't get that now. And that's because whereas the Jews recognize and understand that there is a spiritual kingdom. For example, they believe a lot in angels. Angels are huge in Judaism. So that would recognize or that would affirm that they recognize that there is a spirit world in the spirit realm. But they don't think any of the promises of the Messiah are regarding that. Jesus, however, is talking about a spiritual rebirth when he says you must be born again. Born of water speaks to natural birth, a pregnant mother's water breaking. And born of the Spirit refers to a spiritual rebirth. Therefore, when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. One translation says he's a new species of being. That's talking about being born again in spirit. It's talking about your spirit being made new. It goes on in verse 17 to say, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Well, what old things passed away? And what all things become new? Well, the things that become new are spiritual things. Everything related to the new birth, everything related to what we call salvation has been made new. But look what hasn't changed. Your body doesn't change. The physical part of man doesn't change at all. The third part, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is made new. The body is not. And neither is the soul. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are extremely significant when we study on these things and come to understand them. Notice Paul says, again, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice he says that God expects us to do something about our bodies. It's confirmation that nothing changes about the body. When we're born again, you may remember over in first Corinthians chapter nine and verse 27, Paul makes this statement. He said, but I keep under my body. Or maybe a different way to say that is I keep my body under. Now notice how he does not identify himself with his body. His body is not the eye. It's not the real him. I keep under my body. 
or I keep my body under. If his body was the real him, he would have said, I keep myself under. But he's not. The spirit is the man on the inside. And Paul says to both the Romans and the Corinthians, he talks about the inward man versus the outward man. The inward man that is born of the spirit of God and ushered into the kingdom of God, we become sons and daughters of God himself, as opposed to the outward man, which is talking about the body and all the desires thereof. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, Peter calls the spirit of man the hidden man of the heart. He's saying he's the man on the inside, just like Paul told us. He's the man on the inside, hidden. Who's he hidden from? The five physical senses. The natural man, the natural body. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I didn't finish in Romans 12, but I'll come back to it. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus tells a story. He says, there was a certain man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Notice the word certain, where it says this is a certain man. He's saying this really happened. A lot of people pass this off as a parable, but a parable is always something that represents or is like something else. Like, for example, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a tree. It starts off small, but it grows so big that the branches house the birds of the air. So parables are always something that represents something else. Jesus said this was a certain situation. A certain man, which was clothed in, certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar, real guy, named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Doesn't tell us anything about the burial of the poor man. I don't guess there was anybody there to pay for that. But the rich man had a funeral and was buried, I guess. And notice, both of them died. We know that has to be talking about physical death. Their physical bodies expired, we might say. But they continued to live. The real man, the eternal man, the hidden man of the heart, the man on the inside, he continued to live. It tells us that Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He's still alive. The rich man also died and he was buried. Here's his fate. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this, in this flame. Notice everything seems to be working the same or similar to the way that it works when both Lazarus and the rich man were still on the earth. Lazarus sees. Well, since we know that his body is buried, he's not seeing with physical eyes. But the spirit man has the ability to see. He sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Notice he connects Lazarus with somebody that he knew on the earth. Sometimes people say, well, will we know other people in heaven? Well, if you know them now, you'll know them there. He recognizes Lazarus just as he might have here on the earth. And then he requests something of Abraham. He's a rich man. He's used to being attended to. So he wants somebody to attend to him now. 
He says, have Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in water and come cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But then spirits have fingers. Spirits have tongues. Spirits can experience torment. Another thing about this is since they don't have physical bodies in their respective locations, we would have to understand that the torment of hell is not a physical torment. He's not feeling torment with his body. His body's buried. But he still experiences torment. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. We can't send anybody from here to you, in other words. Neither can they pass to us that would come from where you are. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if when one went unto them from the dead, they'll repent. And Abraham answered him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Well, we can certainly see Jesus being referred to there. So what else do we see about this guy? The rich man's telling us that even in hell, after the body expires and is put to rest in the grave, his mental capacities are still functioning. He recognizes Lazarus. He recognizes Abraham. He experiences torment. He has eyes. He has fingers, which would indicate that he has hands. He has a tongue, not a physical tongue. That was part of the body that was buried. And he has compassion. He has the ability to reason because he's concerned about his brothers. He has emotions. Now, folks, the simplest definition for the the three-part makeup of man, spirit, soul, and body First of all, man is a spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 4, talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, when he asked her for water and then reveals himself to her as the Messiah, the Christ. He says to her that God is a spirit. He doesn't say God is spirit. He said God is a spirit. Some people have the idea, I think, that, uh, or it seems, that God is just kind of a cloud that's everywhere in heaven. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, God is a spirit. Well, if we're created in the image and likeness of God, born again in spirit, then that would necessitate that we would have to be like him. Spirit beings too. That certainly confirms other things that we've referred to even here tonight in a lot of scriptures that we haven't brought out about the hidden man of the heart and the inward man and so forth. He's compassionate. He's concerned about his brothers the other part of man's makeup is soul the soul can be identified by example and through what the bible tells us as the mind the will and the emotions he's still operating according to his emotions when he's in hell he cares about somebody else 
So his soul is still at work. His mind is functioning. His emotions are present. He even tries to tell us what his will is. His will is for Lazarus to come and cool his tongue with water. I don't know why he doesn't say, Abraham, bring me to where you are. If I'm going to ask for a favor, it's going to be bigger, one bigger than a tongue dipped in water. But he's exercising his will when he makes the request of Lazarus going back to his brothers. So we see from this example, this story that Jesus told us, what it means and what we should understand about man being spirit, soul, and body. He is a spirit. He has a soul made up of his mind, his will, and his emotions. And he lives in a body, which in this case was buried before any of these things took place. I told you I wasn't through with Romans chapter 12. Turn back with me again to Romans chapter 12. It's important, I think, for us to understand that the spirit of man is eternal. Would have to be. We're made in the image of God. God's eternal. But the soul also seems to be eternal. The soul wasn't buried with the rich man's or Lazarus' body. So the soul is eternal too. It'd be kind of like the example of your body and your head. Your head's a part of the body. Where your body goes, your head has to follow. That seems to be the connection or a similar connection to the spirit and the soul. Well, what about this spirit and soul? We read verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Many other translations translate that instead of reasonable service, spiritual worship. See, we think, we charismatics think of worshiping in spirit as just singing in tongues. 